of defiance on this beautiful Lord's Day. A reading from God's Word, Psalm 116. I love the Lord, for he heard my voice. He heard my cry for mercy. Because he turned his ear to me, I will call on him as long as I live. The cords of death entangled me. The anguish of the grave came over me. I was overcome by distress and sorrow. Then I called on the name of the Lord. Lord, save me. What shall I return to the Lord for all his goodness to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his faithful servants. Truly, I am your servant, Lord. I serve you just as my mother did. You have freed me from my chains. I will sacrifice a thank offering to you and call on the name of the Lord. I will fulfill 
my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people, in the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst, Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. Let us pray. Almighty and everlasting God, who in the Pascal mystery established the new covenant of reconciliation, grant that all who have been reborn into the fellowship of Christ's body may show forth in their lives what they profess by their faith. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. God sent his son. They called him Jesus. He came to love. He and forgave. He and died. To buy my pardon. An empty grave. Savior
chapter 214. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. Therefore let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to their hearts and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Restore. He has done. 
of Luke. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened there in these days? What things? he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed, before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly. Stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told of what happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized them when he broke the bread. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. It was uh, not long ago in the Christmas season, I asked whether it was harder to keep Christmas songs alive after Christmas and not sing them beforehand, or um, is it easy, is it harder to keep Christmas songs alive after Christmas or to not sing them beforehand? Um, and the second Sunday of Christmas being far into January this year, it was, a, it was a stretch for us to sort of sing them again and bring them back out. But the Christmas season goes on the 12 days after what we normally call as Christmas. And so it is with the Easter season that this joy that we received last Sunday is supposed to go on for 50 days until we ce- celebrate Pentecost. May we prayerfully be back together for Pentecost Sunday as a church. 
But that season of keeping on with Easter, it's, it's for the world that sort of all ends on that Sunday. But for Christians, it's a season that goes on and stretches further into the spring, summer, and it, or spring, early summer. And so it is for us to keep that memory alive, to continue to proclaim is, is Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. To have those words echo within us during the season and bring about new life and new truths in us. It's also worth noting that perhaps, or in a way, every Sunday is a celebration of this resurrection goodness. Every Sunday is a time in which we come together and proclaim that the tomb was empty. It's why during the season of Lent, the Sundays don't count, because every Sunday in which we gather and proclaim the resurrection is like a mini-feast. It's proclaiming that God wasn't there but is risen. So we're staying with Easter season a bit longer this year than we normally do. We normally do a, um, a sermon series equipping the church, but this year I wanted to do one last Sunday in Luke, and then we'll walk through um, life together as sort of a theme, and I'll be following sort of the chapters from Diedrich Bonhoeffer's book that we read uh, together a couple years ago, um, but I'll be following that as sort of a structure to talk about what is the life together of the church before we jump into the book of Deuteronomy in the summer which I know you're all deeply looking forward to. But it's connected to today in some ways, too. And what we found in today's reading is this same Easter day. So last Sunday, what we talked about from Luke 24 is what happens in the events with these disciples on the road to Emmaus is on the same day as the woman found the empty tomb. Is that this is the evening of the same day of Easter. And on that same day, Jesus appears to them and walks with them on the seven-mile journey from um, Jerusalem to the city of Emmaus. But what we find in this, in this story is this way of sort of perceiving the revelation as it comes to us. It starts with two disciples walking on this way. And they were going to the village called Emmaus, and they were talking to each other about everything that happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus came up alongside with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. In this story, they're talking about the events that had happened on the crucifixion and what they had heard from the woman is what they say. And what we have in this, in this story is almost not just like this progressive sort of sense of revelation, but we also have, um, it is like a Christian worship service, is we come together and we talk about Jesus. Oftentimes, we, we talk about Jesus um, as ourselves as if he is not there. Um, we too exist like these disciples. Um, but Jesus follows alongside them and they're unable to recognize him. And he asked them, what are you discussing as you walk along? And then they stood their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that happened there in these days? This is one of the better parts of this story because it, it brings to mind that Jesus is, is sort of enticing them out to talking about this story of proclaiming to him the truth that he's been proclaiming to them all along. Now, it'd be a, a little bit like somebody walking into church here today with the four of us who led worship um, and us telling them, you know, oh, we're not meeting as usual, and we said uh, because of the virus, and they said, what virus? Um, how have you not heard about this thing is sort of the way these disciples respond to Jesus. Are you the only one visiting who didn't hear about this, about what had happened this day, about the news that has come? Are you the only one who's unaware of these things? It's a moment for us to sit with the irony of asking Jesus those things. Are you unaware of the fact that death has seemed to win again? Are you, Jesus, unaware of the fact that the powers of the world always press against goodness and try to put out the light? Are you, God, aware that life is hard and full of unjust suffering? 
These are questions we ask, but it's interesting we turn out like these disciples saying them to the one who is all too aware of them, who has in some sense experienced those things himself. We come to God and say, are you not aware of these things? Are you not aware of the pain and the anguish in the world? Are you not aware of dashed hopes and dreams? And yet we talk to one who is more profoundly and more intimately aware of them than we are ourselves. But God, being kind to us, asked, what things he said to them? And they tell them about Jesus of Nazareth. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed them over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we hoped he had, was going to be the one who was going to redeem Israel. What these disciples are talking about, these ones who had followed Jesus, is the disappointment of lost hope. They had hoped that Jesus would be the one to restore Israel, to bring things back together. It's interesting that he is the one who will restore Israel, and he's been telling that. But he's also been telling them that these things must happen, that he must suffer, that he must go to the cross. And like us, we choose to skip over these revelations in our lives. We consider the crucified one as a stumbling block to the goals in which we had. Our leaders brings to this tension, which we've talked about if you've been able to read through the Gospel of Luke, is this tension between who's doing what, which characters are doing what, the groups of people who are the leaders and the chief priests, the groups of people who are the Pharisees, the groups of people who are the crowds, and then the groups of people who follow Jesus. And it's these ones who said we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. They continue on and say, what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. What happens is these two disciples resonate back to Jesus, that resurrection appearance that we talked about last week, in which those women were told to remember and they go and tell the brothers gathered together about this, and they don't seem to get it. It seems like nonsense to them. These two repeat it. They say that these women returned and that it had amazed them, but they are unable to believe. One of the hard parts and truths that I think we often forget about the resurrection appearances is oftentimes there are doubters even amongst them there. In the Gospel of Matthew, as Jesus is about to ascend up into heaven, it says that there were some there who didn't believe. So we, we think that we can grasp these things so obviously, and I think it's an error to do that. How could somebody not believe in the empty tomb? How could somebody not believe in these things? How could somebody not see creation this way? And it's because that these things need to be narrated to us. It's the same with the women last week at the tomb. They go, and the angels have to tell them that he's not there. He is risen. Even the empty tomb isn't enough to automatically inspire faith, but it's through this revelation of God. It's through the proclamation of such. It's not enough just to see these things, but to hear it, which is where this story goes. And they told them they had seen an angels of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. These companions who went to the tomb, but they did not see Jesus. There's an interesting point to say to Jesus as you don't see Jesus. They went to the tomb and they did not see Jesus. We walk with Jesus on the road, but we do not see Jesus. Jesus is our companion as we talk about Jesus, and yet sometimes we don't see Jesus. Jesus is with us as we tell Jesus what has happened, 
And sometimes we don't see Jesus. And what happens is, is they went out to the tomb and they didn't see Jesus, is that, is that spark of faith had not yet come and had dawned upon them. First, they didn't remember what Jesus had told them. Their memories weren't connecting the dots for them. The second is, is that there's this sense in which we need to see to believe. We need to be the ones who can behold it. What I think is even more true about this is the theme that runs throughout Luke about those who see Jesus and those who understand Jesus. In some sense, during his ministry and his life, everybody sees Jesus. But not all can perceive who he is. And it's the perception that's often blocked today and for us. It's not incidental that as a pastor, and I'm sure you guys hear this in your life, that when you talk about Jesus, people say, well, he was a great moral teacher, or he was a good man, or he was um, uh, a monumental figure in world history. And they have this ability to see Jesus but not understand Jesus. We can pl- try to play the C.S. Lewis tricks on them. You know, he's either a lie, lord, or lunatic, um, or these type of things, and do apologetics. But really, the perception that seeing Jesus, that to know and to see Jesus and to perceive and understand Jesus is a different truth than just grasping something mentally. So much so it is for these disciples who finally get to where they're about to stay, seven miles from Jerusalem, that when they see Jesus, they go back. They return. It's not just, oh, I guess you're right. Jesus is God. And then business as usual. But it's a truth that grasps us in a different way. What does it mean to see Jesus? And he said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all the things the prophets had spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Jesus brings them through the scriptures from Moses and the prophets, teaching them that this suffering precedes this glory, that he had to go and suffer these things. It's often, it, it happened more when we started, but when we started going through Genesis, Exodus, and Leviticus, I would occasionally get the question of why do we spend so much time on the Old Testament, particularly Leviticus. You guys were particularly bitter about that one when it was, why did we spend 14 weeks on Leviticus? Because uh, I'm insane. No, uh, because even Jesus, as he sits with his disciples on the road, and he wants to tell them why suffering precedes glory. He walks with them through the books of Moses and through the prophets. Jesus sees these things pointing to himself. And not only that, he convincingly gets these disciples to believe that these things pointed to the suffering before the glory. Jesus is there before we get to the red letters. And it's something we have to perceive when we meet and know the risen Christ. There's a classic early Christian heresy that wanted to cut off the Old Testament often. Too earthly, too sacrificial, too growth, too much dealing with bodies didn't help us ascend rightly to our spots in heaven. These people were particularly concerned about the soul's ascent up to God. And the Old Testament seemed to be of no help to that at all. Jesus here, as he meets these disciples, walks them through the Old Testament so that they could say that these things are sent concerning himself, that these are about him, that Christ is revealed in these truths. And Christ is able to do this through his union with the Spirit. It's the same thing that Peter is speaking of in Pentecost that Park read for us. Through Peter's union with the Spirit, he too is able to read the Old Testament with the perception that Jesus is there and that this day is that day, as he says from the prophet Joel, and then is now. 
As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is over. These disciples, after spending the day learning from him and reading the scriptures together, invite him in to spend the night, to have a meal again. When we began this series in Luke, we talked about that often in Luke, Jesus is either going to a meal, at a meal, or, or going from a meal. Here on the road to Emmaus, he is still going to a meal. The Jesus of Luke likes to eat with his friends. And so they invite him in to spend the evening with them, to have a meal again. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Jesus here becomes the host. It seems like when you invite Jesus in for meal and you think you're in charge, he becomes the host all over again. This would be the host role to take the bread, to break it, and to bless it, and to give it. Now, what we've been talking about is how this mirrors Christian worship in some ways. We talk about Jesus. We speak about Jesus. And what happens is, is Jesus then enacts this meal for them. He takes the bread, he blesses it, he breaks it, and he gives it. This is not a unique phrase just appearing here in the Gospel of Luke, as many of you know, but occurs earlier in the Gospel of Luke when he feeds the 5,000. Jesus takes, he blesses, he breaks, and he gives. On the night of the Last Supper, in the communion we enact every Sunday, we take bread, we break it, and we bless it, and we give it. We t take, bless, break, and give. Sorry. And it's in this meal that we're able to recognize and see Jesus' presence with us. Christians today, and I was, I was reading, um, or I was listening to, um, a, an essay by Wendell Berry yesterday, and he was talking about how rural people of his grandparents' generation would come together every night after the work's day was over and after they'd eaten dinner, go to people's house and tell the same stories over and over again. Often they were stories about the people who were there that, that had been told before too, that they would sit and tell these stories and, and in some sense bring them to mind again. Barry, in that essay, laments that it's in the modern world that we see such exercises as useless to continually tell and retell stories. But Barry wants to argue that that's how we become acquainted with things, that we know things in a deeper way than just on their surface level, and that the world is victim of knowing things primarily just on their surface level. Christians every Sunday when they gather, except during the time of the coronavirus. Anyways, they enact this ritual together, and it speaks to them again. It proclaims the presence of Christ among them. Well, pastors will often hear this, is that if we take every communion every Sunday, doesn't it become less special? But bringing Christ's presence to us in the reenactment isn't about specialness. It's about bringing ourselves to the story again, to having it ritually reenacted and told to us so we begin to know in a deeper way the truths of the gospel, that we begin to know and see differently. And it's at this moment, and he gives it to them, then their eyes were open and they recognized him. Through this moment, their eyes are open and they recognize him. And he disappeared with them from their sight. And they asked each other, were our hearts not burning within us while he talked to us on the road? And opened the scriptures to us. This causes them to remember how their hearts burned while he was with them. I want to pause for a second here on the on the recognize him and he disappeared from their sight. This is one of those Sundays. I wish that we were together so you could see some of my awesome artwork. Um, I don't have any up today, 
But what I'd advise you to do at home, if you want to do this, is to get an image, I think, of how this presence and absence are tied together both in the church and in this passage, is to take a sheet of paper and to trace your hand on it. And then after you trace your hand on the sheet of paper, then take a darker color um, and uh, color the outside around the hand, black, green, blue, whatever you want to color. And what happens when you do this is that the hand is no longer there. And yet the imprint of it remains in which you know that it was there. Or to think about this, if, if you've ever worn something too tight or pressed something into your skin for a little bit and then you pull it away and the imprint remains of the thing. These, this Easter appearance, as many of them, has this way of absence and emptiness proclaiming presence. Our Easter ad almost works this way. He's not here, he has risen, while he is there behind the whole image. That there's this way in which that by the, the longing and the looking and by the, the memory of him having been there, we remember that he is here. It's this sort of um, dialectic uh, intention thing and that comes out like in the tracing of the hand and you look at that image and you say, that's my hand, but your hand isn't there. That God's presence becomes in this way, this thing that we know is there even though it appears as absence to us at times. That in the breaking of the bread, they recognize him and he's disappearing at the same time. That Christ is there, and yet he is disappearing from their sights. But it caused to mind, were these hearts not burning within us? Another way to think about this is if you've ever been a part of a wedding or um, enacted in a wedding, is the way the rehearsal, the event, and the memory of the event go. Is that we often have these times of rehearsal, of preparing for baptism, church, uh, weddings. Um, Weddings are the most prominent ones in our society. And we go through the actions doing it. And then we have the event itself. And and most times people right after the event say, it just flew by. We just couldn't remember it at all. I often tell couples when I'm I'm marrying them is that there's going to be a short sermon. And I know you're not going to hear any of it. But it at least helps you guys sit down and to take a moment and to take in this day. Pause and breathe yourselves. I'll talk about whatever I want to talk about. It'll be great, but you guys won't be listening. Um, You guys take that time to take in some of this event. But we rehearse and we have events, but as with most of these things, where they live with us and where we go on in our lives afterwards is the memory of the event. Almost that like the event becomes more meaningful and more Um, load-bearing in our lives the more we share and participate in the memory of the event together. That we carry the memory of these things around with us. These disciples have had the rehearsal and following Jesus in his life. They're had the event slash are experiencing the event of it here on the road to Emmaus. And yet it is the memory of these events that we keep bringing forth to proclaim that presence of something has altered in the world, that things have changed and they can't go back the way they used to be, that death has been pushed back, that it calls to mind we, like the disciples asking God, do you not know what has happened here with this virus, with this time lost, with these issues that we're dealing with, with unemployment and all this. And it's God who knows those already. And so through the event, we become to know, or through the memory of the event, we become to know that it is God who is with us on the road as we go. He's the one who opens the scriptures to us and causes our hearts to burn within us. And so these disciples get up and return to Jerusalem at once. And they find the eleven assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. 
Then the two told what happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. They returned back to where they have gone, come from. They returned back changed by the revelation of what Christ has done in their lives by revealing himself to them in the breaking of the bread. And so I pray it is for us that as we break bread together and feel the absence of the breaking of bread together during this time, that we realize we go back to work, we go back to our homes, we go back to the places we've been, but we too can say that he appeared to us as we broke bread. And that life has conquered the grave again and that memory lives and goes on within us. Let us pray. God, we often exist like disciples on the way to Emmaus, talking to one another, trying to figure out what has happened, sometimes failing to recognize that you two are here with us. We even try to explain to you what has happened or how it seems that darkness can win. But you, God, in your patience, break the bread before us and reveal yourself again. You open the scriptures to us and through your spirit guide us to seeing traces of your presence in places we didn't think we'd see it. And so, God, like the disciples on the road to Emmaus, may we be ones who can go back to Jerusalem, our Jerusalems, after hearing and seeing and having our hearts burn within us and tell the story about how we saw you too and that our lives may be changed. We ask all this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. In Christ alone my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace, when tears are stilled, when striving cease, my
in the account on the road to Emmaus, it says that our rulers and our leaders handed him over. In Christian tradition, we've always acknowledged that we too have handed Christ over to be crucified. And that brings us to confession, but also confession and, and um, absolution that through his resurrection, Christ has proclaimed even our worst is overcome by his forgiveness. So we confess, we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In humility and faith, let us confess our sins to God. Merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart and mind and strength. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. In your mercy, forgive what we have been. Help us amend what we are and direct what we shall be so that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name. Let us hear the good news. Who is in a position to condemn? Only Christ, and Christ died for us. Christ rose for us. Christ reigns in power for us. Christ prays for us. Anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old life has gone. A new life has begun. Know that you are forgiven. Be at peace. Amen. And so as we confess together uh, our sin, we also confess the faith that has been handed on to us that proclaims that though he was crucified, died, and buried, and descended to the dead, on the third day he rose again. Let us confess together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come accomplish the living and the dead. Believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, and the resurrection of the body. Let us lift up, lift our hearts.
God, you have called us to follow in the way of your risen Son and to care for those who are companions, not only with words of comfort, but with acts of love, seeking to be true friends of all. We offer our prayers and thanks on behalf of the church and of the world. God, we pray for your church here and in all places that we may be one and that in this time we may take the time to seek and renew our face towards you. God, we also pray for the people of this valley, from the care workers working during this time at the hospitals and the nursing homes, to those who are learning to teach digitally and disliking it probably. And for those kids who are struggling to learn in this new format, finding themselves with way too much time, we pray for the parents, oftentimes trying to work two jobs full-time while taking care and teaching and tending to the household. God, we pray for those who are shut in alone as well. For this and all of us, may you come and comfort us. May you be present to us. May you be near to us as we know you in the breaking of the bread. God, we pray for those struggling with the sickness throughout the world and in the valley. And we pray that this time may soon end and together as your church we may gather again to hear the good news that Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. And so as we close, let us pray the prayer that you taught us to pray. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Praise God from whom.